Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today I am with Karsten Le, the founder of Asia PMO based in Vietnam. Hello Karsten, thank you very much for being a guest today. Hello Laurent, thank you very much for being on your podcast. Let's start then. So I know that you are German based in Vietnam. You lived in Mexico for a while if I'm not mistaken. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so my, my journey started pretty basic in a very small uh, German town, somewhere 100 kilometers outside from Stuttgart in South Germany. And I surprisingly went to high school, which was very surprising for my family <laughs> with working class background. But after high school, nobody in my family ever studied or we never talked about studies. It was clear for me, I do an apprenticeship which means you learn a job in a company mm. in Germany. So I did a bank apprenticeship. First, I did a one-year civil service instead of military service, which was great. And then I did an, a bank apprenticeship in a bank in my region, like small town, German region. Mm. And I learned in two and a half years how to be a mortgage banker. Yeah, loans for houses. And then I worked one and a half year for them in the call center. And I realized during that time that that's probably not my passion and what I want. And some of my bosses even told me that I can do more yeah, or that I'm probably capable of doing more. Mm. And, and luckily at that time I had money to study because I worked already four years. I was 24 and I decided myself I will study international business yeah, because huh? I wanted to get out of this environment. And international business brought me a year to the UK for studying and for working and also half a year to Mexico for, for an internship. Mm. And I loved the international vibe. And then after my studies, maybe another crazy decision, I could have gone into a German company. I wanted to go a little bit like in training, training management, but I really wanted to go back to Mexico. So after my studies, without any job, I just went back to Mexico and I did a, bit, did a little bit freelancing for two and a half years. A lot of mm. like instructor jobs, um, business courses, helping companies, but a little bit low level, right? And then after Mexico, I decided two and a half years, maybe it's time to go back to Germany to really start a career because I was already like almost 30. Yeah? Mm. Um, and I was lucky I got into Citibank in Germany and I was for one year a project coordinator. Um, yeah, and then from Citibank, I joined Deloitte Consulting, yeah, because at that time, they, they looked more for experienced people rather than for, for highly educated people, which obviously I was not, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got into Deloitte Consulting. I even didn't know Deloitte because I had no clue about the big four, but somebody right. told me after three months in Deloitte, wow, you are in a big company, you should appreciate that, right? Now, now being in Asia, I know that it was a good move yeah, before <laughs> I didn't know, honestly. <laughs> so I went there and I worked four years in change management and in banking projects as a project coordinator and as a project mm. manager. 
And I mean, it was a very nice uh, school of consulting and management, knowing a lot of different companies. Um, very interesting. But then after four years again, I was not so happy anymore in Germany because I was so into the sun and Latin vibe of Mexico. I really missed that. Mm. But I thought I want to go somewhere else in the world. So I looked on the world and said, what area is a little bit similar than Latin America and has a good economy? And I looked at Southeast Asia. Mm. So I did a little bit of backpack trip through Southeast Asia for five months. And I looked for jobs and I found my first job in Vietnam as a market entry consultant for a very small company, helping German companies going into uh, Vietnam. Right. And then after, after a year, I moved to Home Credit, one of the big cash loan players here in the region, a European company. Um, I worked three and a half years in Home Credit as PMO in, in the project management office, mm. a central project manager. Very interesting. And there I got in touch with the customer experience project. They gave me the customer experience project. And then they asked me if I want to be the customer experience manager because I was implementing that. Right. And then I got in touch with customer experience. So things come to me. You know, I don't have a really straight way in my career. Things mm. come to me. And then one year later, Lazada Vietnam, one of the biggest e-commerce players here in the region connected to Alibaba, Ask me if I want to go from home credit to Lazada to be VPCX. Because they were at that time in 2015, there were not many people educated on the markets who knew customer experience. Right. And I went to Lazada for two years. I mean, crazy startup time. I only worked for traditional companies before. So Lazada, wow. Uh, crazy ride, right? Everything mm. very fast, very agile, right? A lot of learning, meeting a lot of people. And then after two years, when the Chinese from Alibaba, they came really massive in and they got a little bit of Western top management out, I started Asia PMO. That's my story. Right. Why, why did you start it? What was the trigger? Because you've never been an entrepreneur before. No, but I mean, the first trigger is that I sometimes don't like to wait for my bosses or for anybody. <laughs> I realize that I'm not a very patient person. So things, especially in traditional, and I'm a person with a lot of crazy ideas who wants to implement fast. Mm. And that doesn't go well in traditional companies. They also don't like it because if you have somebody like me in the company, you drive them crazy, mm. right? You are like, you're always criticizing, you're always saying this, we can do better. Why don't we try that? Why don't we try that? In Lazada, it was better. In Lazada, they went for the ideas or was faster, mm. right? That's the first thing. And I mean, the second thing is also, um, yeah, I was a little bit tired with the, with the corporate world, mm. honestly, right? Not only about the decision-making, generally politics, politics, you have to be very careful what you say, how you say it. You depend on a lot of people, right? Oof, yeah. So generally tired with the corporate world, honestly. Right. So tell us about Asia PMO. What, the, what do you do? So I'm, I'm actually running Asia PMO on the side since I'm Vietnam. And mm. I started with project management consulting. That's why PMO. Right. So at this time, we, um, I gave PMP certification courses for companies like from PMI, Project Management Institute. Um, I helped companies to build portfolios from different projects and so on. But Vietnam is a very fast progressing country. So the last, last eight to 10 years, there are so many good 
project managers and head of project management in Vietnam, you don't need a foreign anymore to teach project management, honestly. Hmm. In other markets where we are, like in Myanmar, for example, it's just starting, right? Hmm. But in Vietnam, why would you pay a foreigner more who doesn't speak really good the language if you can get a local, right? It's much better. Yeah. And even the Vietnamese culture is pretty, pretty, um, pretty strong. So it's always better to have a local in the positions here, right? And then, of course, I got in touch with, with CX through Home Credit Lazada. So I also offered customer experience, means how to analyze all the customers, how to research them and how to do improvements or surprises which customer like and how they become your fans. Yeah? Right. So that's the second topic. And since one year, we do agile and OKR consulting because people ask me about it. And I investigated it. I said, wow, actually, I did a lot of agile and OKR already myself. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know that you call it like that. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's sometimes funny. Maybe I don't read enough books. That's also one of my weaknesses. And everybody would say, no, you have to read books. You have to be smart. But I stumble on topics, right? And then I mm -hmm. educate myself, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and I, we had now in one year, 15 to 20 OKR clients. Yeah. And I think we are on a very high expert level in Southeast Asia and OKR. That's at the moment one of our, uh, one of our most successful uh, products or service stream. And we really help companies to go from KPIs in a three months management cycle. And I'm also very passionate about that because a lot of things you do in OKR means you have to be more transparent. People can give input. Not everything is top down anymore. It's exactly what I didn't like about the corporate world. Mm. And I come with this offer back into the corporate world yeah, to change them. And I like that. Yeah, Right. So let's talk a little bit about OKR because there may be some of the audience out there that doesn't know very well about about yes. it. Tell us, tell us a bit, a bit more. First, start by what does it, what does it stand for? OKR. Okay, OKR means objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a it's a like twenty year old management technique, similar like management by objectives, SMART, KPIs. You know, you have techniques, management techniques where you track and measure results, right? Yeah. Normally, a lot of companies do KPIs nowadays, mm -hmm. key performance indicators. Um, now OKR comes from Google, a guy called John Durr. He has a very famous book, Matter What Matters. He applied it in Google. And OKR gives you the freedom to define every quarter three to five company objectives or priorities. Yeah? Mm. So this quarter, we want to be more customer friendly. We want, we want to focus more on our partners. We want to drive the sales. These are three examples of objectives. Right. And the nice thing about OKR objectives is they can be inspirational. They don't have to be numeric like KPIs. Mm -hmm. Because KPIs are boring. Sorry to say that. The CEO says at the beginning, now we sell 30% more. We want 50% more customer. We want to save 20% cost. That's mm. boring. Yeah? OKR is a little bit like what Elon Musk is doing, you know, with SpaceX and with Tesla. Mm -hmm. He says to his people, we make a company in 2005 to be 2025 at the Mars. And that's crazy. That's mm. completely crazy. But people are burning for that. They work very hard because they see this big target, very inspirational. 
Mm. This is what OKR is doing. So you are inspirational. You inspire people by the objectives. And then by the key results, you measure it. So for example, when you say we want to be more customer friendly the next quarter, I want from you two measures how you can measure that. So for example, we have at the moment a rating one to five, 4.0. So after three months, I want our rating in 4.5. That's a key result. Mm. Yeah? Or I want 20% less complaints on Facebook. That's a mm. key result. So you get an objective and then you do different key results behind the objective and very open and transparent that people, and you, you measure that week by week. There are a lot of OKR tools on the market, online tools. So you are very transparent. The whole company can see where you are as a department, as a company, as a team, sometimes individual, but mainly as a team on your key results and on your objectives. Yeah. Right. So it can also, I believe, forces the companies to be a bit more innovative, thinking outside of, of the box, right? Sure, because first the cycle is only three months, right? right? So you are not locked down with a one-year target like in KPI. Yeah? And after three months, you can theoretically come up with five new objectives, which mm. normally they don't do. Two out of five objectives are taken over to the next quarter, right? But it's possible. Yeah? The second thing is you give people the security because you tell them top down or also aligned with people. We focus on these five things the next three months. So if somebody has a six idea, mm -hmm. you normally push it into the next quarter. Right. right? Because you don't overload the people. Um, but what you said with the ideas is also very important because OKRs should be aligned not from the CEO, at least with the wider management. Mm. And this is only the planning step. So the wider management discusses together in some companies up to 40 people, what are the objectives and what are the key results? And then you need a third component, which are actions. So the actions is what you do to achieve the key results. Yeah? Yes. And this is where you ask your staff. That's the innovation part. The, the management will not discuss actions. Mm -hmm. So when you do at the beginning of the quarter, your session to define the OKRs, you ask your staff, you give your staff one or two weeks time and say, hey, guys, these are now the key results. We want to be from four customer rating to 4.5. Please, everybody in the company, tell us your ideas how to do that. I, I like it that you talk about actions. Um, I like to talk to my clients about actionable actions, because I find that the actions are never actionable enough, you know? How do you set up like real actions? With the actions, it's, it's I tell my clients, especially with OKR and with Agile, it's try and fail. Hmm. So don't think so much about what is good, what is bad, but do something. I mean, real actions is something where you do something, where. Because in some OKR tools, they call it plan, not action. But a plan is not an action. Yeah? Right. I plan every day to go yeah. to the gym. Yes. It's not an action, unfortunately. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean? yeah, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? So don't call it plan. Call it action. Mm -hmm. And I will ask you at the end of the week to go from 4 to 4.5. What did you do this week? And somebody will tell me, yeah, I, I, we had 10 pissed off customers on Facebook. I called them all. 
and I, I turn them around. Now they are happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they give us a good rating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's an action because you did something which has an impact on the key results. Mm -hmm. If you tell me, Oh, I gave out 10 vouchers to random clients. I would say as a CX expert, that's not an action to make clients more happy in the rating. That's an action for marketing. Mm. But just because somebody gets a voucher doesn't make him rate our, our end product better. Right? Right. Not a very good, on e-commerce, for example. In e-commerce, they fix everything with voucher. But because if I'm a pissed <laughs> off, no, I work for Lazada. You, they make a mistake, you get a voucher. If you want vouchers from e-commerce, find mistakes and put it on Facebook. They give right. you every voucher you want. I'm totally, totally nuts. So if, if, if they make a mistake, you know, last time they, they sent me the wrong item and they were like, oh, sorry, sorry, we will give you a voucher. I said, guys, I don't want a voucher. I want the right item. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it's arrogant, but at the moment I'm lucky with my business. I don't need a $10 voucher. Right. Mm, That's not mm. my biggest concern that I get a $10 voucher. The biggest mm. concern was I need, it was a green screen for my video recording. I needed that item in that week. Yeah. Mm. And they didn't deliver it. And if you do the wrong action, at least we measure it once a week and we can correct you and ask you for another thing. Right. And that also ties into the customer experience, right? Because it mm. forces you to listen better to your customer. Like if sure. the, ex the examples you were giving, you know, I have a problem with my, my green screen, but that means to be able to understand that the problem is with a screen, you need to ask questions. So you need to, to be genuinely interested in customers, right? Sure. I mean, experience management is everything. Customer experience, employee experience, partner experience. So with whoever you deal as a company, also your internal staff, the first part in experience management is to listen. Mm -hmm. yeah? I mean, customer experience is already a little bit of older topic. I see in Vietnam, Southeast Asia, they do it already five, six years in the U S they do it 10, 15 years. Right. Um, but still a lot of companies don't have to write ratings, surveys, calls, whatever they do to listen to you. Right. Yeah. Now on employee experience, it's terrible. A lot of companies don't do anything about employee experience. They only, mm -hmm. they only rely on a relationship between the staff and the manager. And that is very unfair for both sides. So I'm, I'm at the moment encouraging company with experience consulting to do much more ratings inside their company. Send them a rating from one to five. How was the company trip? How was the... How was the review meeting yesterday? How was that and that? Mm -hmm. And don't let it do via the manager because maybe they hate each other, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, there's a personal barrier here. And that's the same thing. I mean, how do you listen to your staff, right? And everything, when you, when you try to listen to anybody, customer or staff, it should be anonymous, ideally, mm -hmm. or in a very personalized thing. We had an event this weekend and the event location took our microphone and went into the crowd and, and asked them, oh, how is the place here? I was like, are you crazy? If you mm. stick somebody the microphone in the face in front of 50 people, of course they will say it's a great event. <laughs> True. I mean, what do you want? You have to send them a survey after the event, right? I mean, mm. so you have to listen, but you also need the right tools to listen. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. if you're really interested in the truth, some companies are not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if you are interested, what your employees or your customer want, give them the right tools where they can respond to you in a relaxed way. Interesting. Why are you saying that some companies are not interested in the truth? Okay, I give you an example: retailing companies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Retailing companies, um, we call the customer journey, the steps you take as a customer. So the first step is, is you open the app. The second step is booking, paying pay by card. The third step is waiting for the, for the cap. Uh, the fourth step is writing. And the fifth step is maybe paying cash. Yeah? These are five steps of a customer journey. Mm. Yeah? And when do they rate you? When do they ask you for feedback? At the end of the interaction, right? At the end. Yeah. But what, what do you rate at the end? You just did the ride on a motorbike or in mm. a taxi and you pay. What, do you, what are you rating? The driver, I think. Yeah. But they never get feedback about their app. Because as a customer at that moment, we are not angry about the app anymore because it's already 10, 15 minutes away. You mm. understand that? So these companies, they don't get any feedback about the app experience because they are tech companies. They're very confident about their tech experience. So the only thing you rate when you do an end rating is the last big impression. The same on Lazada. When I do on Lazada e-commerce, a rating at the end, it's all about the product and the delivery. It's not about the payment system. It's not mm. about the app. It's not about how easy I found it. It's not even about the waiting time. Mm -hmm. Because I forget already that the delivery is late when the item is shit. I'm sorry. Or if the item is really good, mm. right? Then I'm happy mm. or I'm in a bad mood. But I forget if the delivery was bad or anything. So if you really are interested, you have to do more ratings and you have to dig deeper. That's why I tell you some companies, they do a little bit strategic rating. They rate when they think the customer maybe, or they want feedback from just a certain part of the journey. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've never thought about that <laughs> like this. But... I, I give you one more example. Yeah. A lot of time HR, they are only doing rating on an event or on a trip, mm -hmm. right? So you get a rating after a company trip. How was the company trip? One to five. How was the drinking last night? One to five. <laughs> of course, you get super rating. Yeah. But but do you do you send the rating every month to your people and say, oh, how is your manager? Mm -hmm. How is the how is the environment of the office? Yeah. How was the announcement from the CEO yesterday? Mm. No, they don't do. So if you just send out ratings after you went with the whole company to the beach, that's not very honest. I understand. So mm -hmm. what's the uh, the key message here? No, I mean, the key, the key message is you, you should map out the journey. I mean, you should map mm. out the steps the customer is taking mm. and think about which steps are important for you and which steps are important for the customer. So, for example, on e-commerce, the checkout step is very important mm -hmm. because you, you want not people to choose an item, you want people to buy an item. Mm -hmm. For the customer, the waiting step is very important because the customer wants to be informed how long it takes mm -hmm. and the customer gets nervous when it doesn't come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have to, then you have to think, then you have to survey or ask the customer and yourself, what do we need to do to make that better? Yeah. How can we make it easier for the customer when he has to wait more than four or five days? Mm -hmm. And then you do things, you do things about it. 
and see that the complaints go down or that your survey responses are going up, your ratings are going up, right? You don't have to, maybe I was exaggerating, you don't have to put on a Grab journey or Uber journey six rating points. Sure. It's very annoying. I mean, you, you don't send me every minute one to five, one to five. I mean, it's super annoying. But you can make it in the background by emails, by calls, by surveys, right? Mm -hmm. So think about what is important in the experience of an employee, of a, cast, of a customer, of your partner company, and try to help them in the important stuff. All right. I'd like to talk a bit more about your entrepreneurship journey. You mentioned uh, Elon, Elon Musk's big, big goal. And what is your big goal for Asia PMO? I mean, my big goal is for Asia PMO, I mean, first for myself, mm. not to go back into the corporate world anymore. Sorry <laughs> to say that, yeah. So I want to be in a position the next 20 years to reject any kind of offer which is coming. Mm -hmm. And we want to build actually a network of consultants. So we are not thinking right. about building another Deloitte or another, another Accenture. I would not say McKinsey because we don't do strategy consulting. We do implementation consulting. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we really are on the, on the middle level of your mm -hmm. company. And really uh, build up a network of consulting partners, of freelancers, of whoever has great knowledge, who we can bring into our client project. Yeah, that's right. actually, and also expanding. I mean, we are already uh, operating in Vietnam, Singapore and Myanmar, yeah, mm. with clients. Yeah, I now, thanks, almost thanks to COVID, I have to say, we have online clients in California and in Europe, yeah, with OKR mm -hmm. Consulting, because all our offers are online and on different platforms, yeah. But I think, I think that the target is, and my target is also with Asia PMO, to help people who know a topic a little bit, to get them in as junior consultants, freelance, mm -hmm. and to build them up. Right. Because a lot of people have knowledge, but they don't know how to consult. And maybe that's one of the big things I give to Deloitte in the four years. They really showed me what consulting means. What have you learned in your entrepreneurship journey so far? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of crazy, right? I mean, first, I learned not to be so intimidated by big names. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Sometimes big companies approach us as partners. They're like, oh, we want you to pitch with us and this and this project. I was like really proud and like, wow, right? But some of these companies, they didn't treat me very well or they didn't treat us very well. They didn't mm -hmm. give us the information. They didn't invite us to the right meetings. They were very demanding, tried to push our price down. Even their price was like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt a little bit unfair treated. So... I'm now a little bit careful with partners uh, who are too big for me, right? Or for right. us. Um, so I learned you have to start with people on your level and then things are much easier, right? Um, because it's a win-win situation then. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, the second thing I learned also from a client side, it's the same thing. We, we focus mainly on, on startups and mid-sized companies, also banks, traditional companies, right? But I think that's enough at the moment, startup and mid-sized company, let's say up to 500,000 employees. Um, because I'm not waiting six months to sell a project, honestly. I'm not going through a, 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 a six-month screening round with a lot of paperwork and very formal requirements and back and forth because that costs a lot of time, right? 
and we don't have to find them. Yeah, you learn a lot as an entrepreneur on the trust level. You get really fast to feeling who you can trust and who you cannot trust. Yeah, not mm. a partner and a client side. I think there we had some learnings, but we are also careful. We ask a little bit now more for prepayments and stuff like that. But overall, it was a very, very positive experience. I think the, the, the advantage to be an entrepreneur is, rather than working in an office environment, is you mainly meet interesting people and mm -hmm. different people. Mm -hmm. That's for me the, the best thing. You don't go to an office where you see every day the same 100 faces and like 80 of them you don't care or you even don't want to see, mm -hmm. right? Honestly. I don't have that anymore. I mean, the people I meet have crazy good stories because they are clients or partners, yeah? Or they have needs, they have very interesting industries, which I didn't know about, right? And, and then if I have really somebody on my client side who I don't like, then I can still choose mm -hmm. if I carry on or not, right? I mean, that's, there's the freedom. If you go to an office, you don't choose with whom you sit in a meeting. You don't choose with whom you do a project. Yeah, you don't meet a lot of interesting people because normally only the C-level meets interesting people or the CEO, mm -hmm. outside people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that's really what I like now. Yeah? yeah, I have to agree with you. I, it's the same for me since yeah. I've become an entrepreneur. I've decided from the beginning that I would choose the clients I work with. And even though sometimes on a from a financial perspective, you know, it might be a bit difficult because yes, you, you don't get all the money. That's because you're not working with everybody. You don't, you don't get as much money as you would want. But it gives a lot of, of, of freedom to be able to say, well, I really want to work with you because it's you're the perfect fit for me. And we're going to do mm -hmm. great things together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the same. And sometimes, I mean, let's, let's, let's face it, I'm also maybe from a German background, but also personality-wise, I'm a, a pretty direct person, right? Mm -hmm. If you give me, get me now in a company who is very political and where you have to be... I mean, I pitched with this partner I just told you to a, to a very big um, insurance company, mm -hmm. yeah, one of the biggest in Vietnam. And customer experience was under marketing. And I right. told them in the face... I think it's, it's not good. You have to put customer experience under the CEO because otherwise you don't get the improvements into the other teams. I mean, how can you, how can you force sales to improve something if you are marketing? They don't mm -hmm. listen to you. Yeah? And the, the CMO was in the room. <laughs> and I don't think that was one of the reasons why we didn't get the project because she didn't like that I say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm because I was going against her position. But I just was giving my expertise, honestly. I was not attacking somebody personally. And most of my clients, which are more like startup and mid-sized, they appreciate these kind of people. Mm -hmm. They are like, wow, this guy has a little bit of experience. He has seen a lot of other companies. Maybe he's right. We have to put CX under the C-level on a higher position, right? But in this insurance company, they were like, no, we do it right. We don't listen to you. Resistance to then change. I, then I don't need it. <laughs> Resistance to change. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the problem as a consultant. They buy you in to change. But mm -hmm. if you dig too deep sometimes or you dig too much stuff out, they want you to stop mm. in these kind of companies. 
I don't know if you have a similar experience with I do. change. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, I do. Um, what is the one recommendation you would give to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs out there? It's, it's actually two, two, two things, I would say. Fine. Yeah. First, start your business long before you get out of your job. I mean, I was doing Asia PMO almost for five, six years. Yeah? Right. On the side, very low level. I made like $500 a month at the beginning or $100 a month, whatever. And I did it infrequently. But start, start with anything. Give a training every three months, have a small consulting client once a month, every six months, start with anything. Don't make a big jump, right? Mm -hmm. So do at least, yeah? So the mm -hmm. transition is easier. And then the second, the second, the second thing is um, have at least, have a topic where you're really good in, which is project management, like me, but be very open for new topics. Right. Don't limit to yourself and say, I'm now a project management consulting company. Point. Because mm. the market will, will, will kill you. And you will have other competitors who mm. are evolving much faster than you. So being a one-topic company, I'm happy that I, I met a lot of topics in my career and I still see other topics, right? Mm -hmm. and that's our target. We want to develop one topic a year. That's our target in Asia PM. Last question. How can people contact you? People can contact me on asiapmo.com. There's, okay. there's a chat field and a, and a contact field. Very easy. Karsten at asiapmo.com or on LinkedIn, even on Facebook. We are pretty open. No problem. Only my name, Karsten Ley, L-E-Y. And on all channels, Asia PMO, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Constant, for talking to me today. Okay. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guest or myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, send an email to contact at laurenautin.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.